My guest this week is Alexander Galvis, and we talk about building a thought leadership position using LinkedIn. Welcome to episode 231 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh. Talk to me if you want to cut the BS and the complexity from your marketing strategy. Hello and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thank you, as always, for downloading or streaming the show. Do you know what? I'm going to get straight into the interview with Alex. We're going to get straight into that interview with Alex. She's got a great backstory and some phenomenal insights about using LinkedIn. So I hope you enjoy. Alex, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Hi, Roger. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Alex, tell me, where are we Skyping each other from today? Actually, we're Zooming each other, aren't we? It doesn't matter. Where are we video conferencing each other from today? West London. West London. Excellent. Now, Alex, you are a LinkedIn expert. You're also a conference speaker domestically and internationally, and you help people project themselves primarily on LinkedIn as thought leaders. And I'd really like to dig a little bit deeper into that today and find out how you how you created that um, career for yourself and, and how you got there. And, and maybe let's dig a little bit deeper into some tips that you could give the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast as to how to project themselves better on LinkedIn. But before we get to that, maybe give us a little bit of background about yourself, where you came from, how your career developed, and, and basically what makes Alex tick. Sure, no problem. Um, so I started my career in the financial services. I had graduated from university in London where I'd studied French and had done quite a few internships in the city with the intention of working in the city. And I got headhunted into foreign exchange and spent a year or about a year or two um, in that first company. Um, in that company, I was basically looking after an online trading platform and slowly started to train people on how to use it and newcomers and you know developments etc and over time um kind of got promoted after a year of being there and over two years i then got headhunted by a competitor at the time i'd been offered two other jobs and um ended up going for the one that scared me the most <laughs> uh, which basically was uh, head of learning and development um for quite a large uh, global company and um, whilst I had been training and developing people a little bit, maybe 20% of my previous role, this was, you know, a to totally different role. And also, you know, being in a leadership team, which at the age of 24 was a little bit crazy. So I was fortunate enough that the company I was working with um, sort of invested a lot in my development. So I went and got qualified in L&D and started to kind of build out really with a blank canvas, uh, a whole L&D suite so we had onboarding programs on induction sales training product training process training you name it um that all fell under me and um just went around the world not just in the uk doing training and uh, developing and supporting staff it was almost instantly when i started that job i had this big dream when i was younger having come from very humble beginnings that by the time i was uh, 30 i was going to work in the city have nice designer clothes travel internationally be in a management position and then i got that at 24 and it was like a rug was pulled from underneath me um you know it was 
it wasn't what I expected it to be. And it just didn't have that feeling that I wanted it to have. I just didn't feel fulfilled, like I was in the right place. Because I was, uh, you know, fortunate enough to be training and developing, realizing very quickly that my values didn't align with the, you know, financial services or the company that I was in. Um, I wasn't, yeah, I was a very different person to what I thought I was in, you know, sort of coaching myself and realizing that actually I wasn't in the right place and trying to figure out, you know, if this isn't what I want to do, what do I want to do? And just spent some, a long period of self-reflection followed by a lot of burnout at work um, because it was just me managing this on a global level and training over 300 people um, at the time. And uh, one burnout after another burnout kind of threw me into depression and had some sort of mental health issues at that time, eventually got myself out of that and just went, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) My uh, no no salary designer clothes or international travel is worth my sanity. Um, And I quit and had at the time sort of been testing out running some LinkedIn workshops internally in the business, but also externally to to the public and realizing that there was demand. And so I basically took that. And the day I left my job, I'd uh, written a post that said, when I was a little girl, I used to dream of working in the really tall building with a pointy top by the river and having reached the 45th floor, realizing that my definition of success was wrong. It was based on money, power and status. And that sometimes it takes getting to where you want to be to realize it's not where you're meant to be. I posted that at lunch. And by the time I got to my leaving drinks, over 80,000 people had read it. Wow. So that was really kind of the thing that, you know, catapulted me onto the limelight on LinkedIn, despite, you know, creating content since July 2015. And that was sort of the start of, uh, you know, my my new career, essentially. I took a six-week break where I was continuing to write content and then just started to sh- sort of share my adversities around, you know, what it was like having mental health issues in the city and depression and, you know, things, challenges that I've had in my past and really talking about quite stigmatized issues and just grew my following quite significantly over a short period of time. And in the December of leaving my my job LinkedIn named me top voice for the UK, which is basically like there's 25 million people in the UK and you rank in the top 12 most influential content creators. Um, and I had that for the two years uh, post leaving my job. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting journey. Also, one of the, the campaigns that I was a, a part of was uh, LinkedIn Local. So it was a something that started off with a lady out in Coffs Harbour near Sydney who had the idea of meeting her LinkedIn connections offline in a group. And at the time, I was doing something similar, but on a one-to-one basis. And I decided to to kind of do the same thing and get in touch with her and, you know, work together on how we could do this and make the most out of it. And before we knew it, it sort of blew <laughs> up. And uh, people were asking, how do I go to an event? Where can I find an event? How do I connect with another host? How do I run these? And so we built in these uh, induction packs, processes, websites, etc. All not for profit, just trying to build, you know, people like communities around the world um, and help people bring people together in a connect, you know, connected, authentic way that wasn't about sales, wasn't about pitching. It was just about getting to know the people behind the profile. And you know, if business happened, which often it did, it was done on with a foundation of kind of building a relationship first. Um, and over time, we grew that in the space of two years into 90 countries and over a thousand cities. So it ended up becoming one of the biggest, if, if not the biggest campaign on, on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is a very big part of my life. 
this is a remarkable backstory. There's so much that I can focus in on there just from what you've been saying. I mean, an amazingly successful career in financial services at a young age. And, and let's face it, um, financial services is a bit of a cutthroat industry. Uh, and it's interesting that it only took you until you were 24 to decide that you that big corporate wasn't for you. It, it took me nearly 25 years, which, uh, which has to say something. But it's very, very interesting as well that you were in a learning and development role at quite a young age. And I just wonder, you know, there's, there's quite a lot of, you know, if you go into a big corporate, learning and development can be really tedious, you know, and some of the training practices that they have, unengaging. I just wonder, because you were the only person running this department, whether being young, you actually had the ability to put your own imprint on it. You actually had the ability to do something different. And, and even though corporate wasn't for you, maybe that helped you once you decided to leave and, and start focusing on LinkedIn. It, it, did, did that sort yeah, of process happen? For sure. I mean, I, I kind of went into that role quite worried, actually. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, I was really conscious that I was training people that, you know, had kids my age. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, at times my role was to tell them how to do their job better or how to develop, you know, certain skills. And I thought, you know, there might be some friction because, you know, I've just come in, I'm new, I'm quite young. Um, and the interesting thing was that when I trained, so there were two, there were two sort of teams I worked a lot with, which was sort of the sales traders and the business developers. And the sales trading team was quite young and the business developers were, were slightly older. And um, the younger team were harder to train than the older one. Uh. So you had the older people that were like, you know, what else can you teach me? What skills can I develop? You know, how can I improve? And then you have the younger ones that was like, I know everything. I don't have time for this. I need to be on the phone. <laughs> um, so for me, that was quite a revelation of, of actually kind of totally getting it wrong um, in that assumption and, and seeing how it was totally the opposite. But, you know, I was lucky in which I, I had a totally blank canvas to a certain extent. They'd had a consultant in and she'd done some work. And when I came in, I just asked, can I just scrap all of it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which wasn't great because obviously they'd invested the money into kind of having her in. But it was stuff like, you know, you've, uh, you know, for the sales team, they'd have like a sales academy. And when they ended the, the you know, two or three modules or whatever, they would have a ceremony and they would shake hands and give them a certificate. And I was like, we're not in school. They're not 10-year-olds. <laughs> That would just make me really cringe. And I'm sure, you know, the managers have better things to do than hand out certificates. (laughs) Um, And I just thought that was so weird. Um, And I I was like, I can't actually do this. I said to them, I was like, I can't put like a thing like that on. It's just cringy. I'm their age and I would cringe. So, you know, that was something that they were like, you know, if you feel that's not what you want to do, then, you know, get rid of it and do, do what you want, really. So that was great for me. And we had a trainer in our sister company that was, um, you know, that helped me in terms of, you know, someone that had been, interestingly, that our sister company had hired someone that was on the verge of retirement Mm -hmm. to be their L&D person. And our company had obviously hired someone fresh or almost fresh out of uni. So that was an interesting dynamic and sort of decision on both parts of the company. But, you know, we, I think we both brought different things to the table. And Alex, the other interesting thing that came out of um, what you've been saying to me is 
I would have expected a young person, 24, to have specialized in Instagram or Snapchat or something like that. Link, <laughs> link, LinkedIn, again, you know, a lot of people see LinkedIn as you know, for middle-aged professionals, and it's just a CV website with a little bit of chat going on. A- yeah. Again, you, you, you spotted this opportunity and, and and perhaps the fact that you did embrace LinkedIn at such a young age when perhaps the majority of people your own age wouldn't even touch LinkedIn with a barge pole that's probably given you a great advantage to to build the career that you've you've built I spent enough time on there to to you know I pretty much spent my commutes to work and back home and my lunch time and any spare time I had on the platform just because I consumed a lot of content on there so reading you know Forbes articles or entrepreneur.com and I just digested a lot of content and for many years I was very much a passive user of LinkedIn and just seeing what was happening but in that sort of seeing what was happening I could see that things were changing quite rapidly on the platform and the way people engaged and interacted and the things that they shared started to shift quite a lot and so when I had that post that went viral it wasn't accidental (laughs) I had been looking at posts that were going viral and what the themes were and what was resonating with people and that's really a lot of how I learned what I learned. It was looking at other people that were doing really well on the platform um, and doing my own spin on, on that. So for me, you know, LinkedIn gave me a huge amount of opportunities because as a graduate, I got headhunted through LinkedIn mm. into my first job. I then got headhunted a second time into that leadership position through LinkedIn. So I knew that there was already a ton of opportunity if you worked in finance and you were looking to move and get headhunted. So I was already kind of an advocate But then I also started creating content on there and started to realize that, oh, wow, I can build a following around things that I'm really interested in, which at the time when I started back in July 2015 was around student and career development. And it made me laugh that you said kind of starting young because I when I work with I go into universities and teach them about creating personal brands as students on LinkedIn I always say to them, it's it's your Facebook for mum and dad <laughs> in, a, in a LinkedIn way. And I, you know, I started off there really as a student kind of creating articles around what I wish I'd known if, you know, when I was a student oh. around getting into the city, what it's like to work there, what I wish I'd known. Uh, and just being the person that at the time I didn't have. And LinkedIn had a great program called the Student Editorial Calendar, which gave you different themes every month that you could write about. And uh, back in the day, if you wrote a good article, um, it got republished on The Pulse, which was their old publishing platform. And actually, a lot of my initial following and kind of very engaged audience started back then, Mm, which mm. a lot of people don't know. They always see the instant, oh, you're a LinkedIn top voice, you know, like that must have happened quite quickly. And I'm like, no, I was writing there like, you know, four four or five years ago. (laughs) You know, we're a society that only tends to see the sort of instant result versus the the hard grind that happens in the background. And I think that's a very important point, isn't it? Because again, a lot of people do have this feeling these days that you should just be able to stick your head up and 15 minutes later, you know, you're world famous. And and actually, you have to put the work in. It doesn't matter whether it's Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever the platform is, whether you're a video expert, a blogger, or even a marketing professional, you can't snap your fingers and be instantly successful. You've got to put the, the work in. And yes, you are young, Alex, but you have been working hard for a, quite a few years and it's paid off. Now, you've, you've developed this expertise now around LinkedIn and you're now helping people to create thought leadership positions using LinkedIn. And and I'd like to talk a little bit about that now. 
as the, as the, as the listeners, the marketing finance podcast know, one of my passions is keeping marketing simple and, and I tend to avoid buzzwords and jargon and stuff like this. And I think unfortunately, thought leadership is one of those words that does get overused. It's a bit like entrepreneur, isn't it? These days, everybody's yeah. an entrepreneur. Everybody's a thought leader. So mm-hmm. let, let's just explore that word first, thought leadership. What, what does it mean to you and, and how is it authentic? So for me, um, I, I kind of fell into thought leadership <laughs> because I guess, you know, when I started creating content on LinkedIn, I wanted to sort of share things that were important to me. And what I started doing was sharing things like why I'd left my job and, you know, the impact of going to therapy and all these sorts of things that to me were important and sharing my ideas and opinions, etc. What I then started to get back were a lot of people saying, I've left my job, I've changed my therapist, I've gone to the doctors because I don't feel well. And realizing that actually, you know, thought leadership isn't just about, you know, exploring a subject that's important to you and that you are an expert on um, and your ideas and opinions, but it's also influencing people to act. And I think that's, that's the bit that we often forget in thought leadership is that you're not someone with a megaphone and just sort of shouting out what's important to you there's there's a message behind it and you're trying to get people to do something and so for me you know I I sort of ended up kind of niching myself in terms of my content on LinkedIn so you'll never interestingly see me speak about LinkedIn even Mm -hmm. though it's what I do for a living Mm -hmm. but you will see me build my thought leadership around subjects that are stigmatized right Um, so I have talked anywhere from uh, mental health subjects to bullying to more recently miscarriage because these are the things that I'm really passionate about and these are things that I've really experienced and I've gotten to know a lot about adversity um, throughout my life and it's something that I think that we need to speak a lot about in the city because we are very good at hiding when things aren't going okay for us and we would be a lot more connected if we did. Interestingly, a lot of my clients, I, I'm really, at the moment, I'm doing some branding uh, work for me, a rebrand, and they interviewed my clients and a lot of them said they booked me because they related to the mental health stories that I shared. Now, isn't that interesting? <laughs> do you know, I, I think that th- this is fascinating and, you know, I, I still do work within the financial services industry and I was at a conference last year and there was a couple of speakers who specifically talked about their own experience with mental health issues. It was such a powerful couple of sessions. You know, there were people in the audience so engaged. Some of them got quite emotional about it. And I do think we're now at a place where this whole issue is just not taboo anymore. And people mm. are and people are more more happy to talk about it, and that's good because it brings it out into the open and 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 it becomes something that people can talk about and get help for. Whereas before, it always seemed to be this sort of stigma attached to it, and it was swept under the carpet. So yeah. I think I think that's a really good thing. But the other thing that it highlights again is something that I've always been passionate about, and that's real life stories. You know, you can mm. have all the marketing technology you want, all the apps you want, all the gizmos you want. But real stories from real people are often the most engaging things that we can deliver. And and I think that your example is exactly that. Your success has been built upon your ability to tell a story about yourself. Be a little bit vulnerable as well, I guess. Yeah. And, and, and that's you know, engaging. You give, yeah, you give people the opportunity to relate and connect. And we're a lot more similar than people 
think. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, when we when we relate, we connect and we start to build trust. And like even just recently, I had someone say, oh, would you be on my podcast? And they said, you know, you were recommended by this person. I'm like, I have no idea. Who that is. <laughs> Um, and that really happens a lot for me. And it's interesting because that person, I don't know, I've, they might have seen me speak. I've never worked with them, but they trust me enough to recommend me. And this happens with like client referrals, even though I haven't worked with that person. And that comes because I share who I am totally authentically and vulnerably on LinkedIn that people feel like they know me and somehow they trust me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's why I always, so I, I work a lot with C-suite people and their thought leadership instantly, they think it's just about business. Yes. But where I sort of specialize is like, I love the business part. That's great. And I think it's really important, but how do we bring your personal side into this? Because often that's what's hiding and that's what really gets you connecting with your audience. Yeah. I think it's very important to, to focus in on that because I, I've been involved in a few corporate um projects where they've got incredibly expensive consultancy firms in the brief has been something ridiculous like we want to become thought leadership in investment or this that and the other and again you just think what does that actually mean and I, and it's important that you've highlighted today that thought leadership doesn't need to just be in business or it doesn't need to just be in getting a competitive or corporate advantage it can be in anything it can be in a personal issue as well i think that's important coming back to linkedin then how do you go about coaching your clients to become thought leaders using linkedin take take me for example if i if i was a my my, spe, my specialism is keeping marketing simple getting rid of the bloke getting rid of the jargon getting rid of the um the large s you know, how would how would I, if I was totally starting from scratch on LinkedIn, what would you say to me as your client that I needed to do to project myself as a thought leader in that area? So the first thing would be to understand why you do what you do, mm. uh, which sometimes my clients know, other times they're not entirely sure how to articulate that. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's working with them on that and then getting them to understand why do they want to use LinkedIn? Why not Instagram? Why not Facebook? Um, because often if they don't know either of those whys, I will most likely not work with them. (laughs) Um, You know, I can help people to a certain extent, but if they don't know why they want to use LinkedIn, that's not a reason, you know, I need something to work with. And I always say, you know, go back and think about it and then come back to me later. Mm -hmm. But they need to understand what their objective is. So for some people that is sales and opportunities and inbound, for other people, it's I want to increase my speaker profile. For others, is I want a career transition. Um, I want to promote my book. So there's lots of different reasons, but we need a goal to kind of work from. And from that, we then work backwards and kind of reverse engineer that goal and think about, okay, what are the steps we need to take in order to achieve that? So one of the things I also look at, um, so going back to the start, is we start off looking at their profile. We look at all the things that they, they've got there and what we need changing so that they position themselves in the right way. Um, so very often I have people come to me and say, well, you know, I do get inbound, but it's not the, for the right things. And I'm like, well, that's probably because it says the wrong thing on there. <laughs> so people tend to position themselves for where they are now versus where they're going. And then the next part is looking at their thought leadership strategy. And this is something that I do in terms of almost auditing what they do already, right? Um, but not just online, but also offline. So because I am a public speaker, because I network a lot, um, because I build relationships relationships offline 
a lot of that's a big part of my work with the people I work with is that, you know, online's great, LinkedIn is great, but it's limited. You know, you build relationships stronger, deeper, quicker when you meet people offline. So I'm sort of looking at what what they're doing and who they're connecting with and, and how do we get them there and who can help. Um, and then we go into content creation, which this is the kind of crux of the thought leadership content. So looking at um, what type of content they want to share, what style, how they want to do that in terms of medium, is it video, is it writing, um, and seeing what's comfortable for them and sort of supporting them in that process and helping them generate ideas, etc. Um, a lot of my work is not doing it for my clients. There are people that are out there that exist that will do it for you. Um, but given that my brand is authentic, Alex, uh, <laughs> for me, um, you know, being authentic and doing your own work. And I know it's difficult because it's time consuming, but no one can write your story better than you. Absolutely um, right. So for me, I, I just, just something I don't offer. And I, I get people trying to convince me to do it. And I'm like, it's not going to happen. <laughs> it needs to be in your tone of voice. And I support and coach and, you know, edit with them until they've got the final, uh, you know, draft of what they want to write that's, that sits and sounds right. And yeah, get them get them out into the world. And a lot of it is, you know, at the start is removing these limiting beliefs around, you know, I don't have anything to say or everything's been said or what if I say the wrong thing is a big one, mm. um, especially for people that are quite high up in the financial services or I don't have time is another one. So it's kind of removing all of those things at the start. And I always say half of it's, you know, therapy and the other half is <laughs> how do I actually use LinkedIn. Love the fact that you're focusing on goals, Alex, there, because again, that's one thing I come up against so many times as a marketing consultant is people will ring me up and they'll say, can you help us with our Twitter marketing or can you help us with our video marketing? And one of my first questions back is always, What's your, what are your goals? What's your strategy? And the, the answer is often that they don't have one. And, and sometimes actually that's a conversation killer. So we don't want, we don't want you to help us with our goals or our strategy. We want you to help us with the marketing. And I say to them, you can't do the marketing until you've got the goals, until you've got the strategy. So again, that highlights, it doesn't matter whether it's social media or whatever uh, communication platform you're talking about, the goal, the strategy is very, very important. And, and putting the, together the content authentic to your own personality is very, very important, as you've said. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I was very enamored by what you said there is, again, people have this impression that everything's been said. Even if it has been, people forget. You know, one of the most famous marketing campaigns ever, I remember reading about it, was actually stopped because the marketing people within the company were just fed up with hearing their own jingle and their own adverts. And they stopped doing this marketing campaign. And actually, the public suddenly came to them and said, why have you stopped? We love this campaign. And, it's, and, and you can't assume that because you're personally sick of hearing a particular message that everybody else is as well. And, and that's why I think that we, we've got to keep repeating what we personally believe. And that's probably a route to thought leadership. Yeah. Interestingly, um, we were just talking about this earlier, is that one of my um, least viewed posts was talking about how thought leadership is original content and yet not original content mm -hmm. because it stems from, you know, people that have probably said the same things hundreds of years before and all the way back to kind of uh, philosophy and personal development and all that sort of stuff that existed. But actually that even though things have been said, 
your story and you know who you are is entirely unique so your perspective on that specific thing is different mm. and it was you know it's a lot more developed than what I've just summarized but it was one of my least viewed posts but I happen to have another person that works in the thought leadership space that's quite big comment on that got tagged in it he commented on it and then obviously his audience that's very into into thought leadership then started engaging with me and off the back of that got a client that then booked in over 10 grand of work that's something else that I wanted to kind of raise is that sometimes people get so bogged down in the vanity metrics of having to have content go viral or having big results in terms of numbers and it's like that doesn't really matter (laughs) what matters is that you've got the right audience and that you're saying what you want to say to that right audience yeah i think there's a lot of talk again around linkedin and other social media platforms about the black magic of the algorithm and of course people say on linkedin oh for goodness sake you should never ever put a link to another website in a linkedin post or if you want to put a link in you should you should type the post out first just the text bit then post it and then a few minutes after you've posted it you go back in and you edit it and then you put the link in and that'll confuse the algorithm and then you'll be fine and whether that happens or not, I don't know. But surely the key is the content has got to be authentic. And as you say, it's got to be targeted to the right audience. For sure. Alex, it's been a fascinating conversation today. I've learned a lot about LinkedIn that I didn't know already. And I love the backstory and where you've, how you've developed your career and how you've focused on perhaps some of the subjects that some people would have been a little bit wary of. What would be the one big thing that you would like the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast to take from all the experience you've had to date in your career? Be authentic. (laughs) (laughs) Which, of course, is your website name, Authentic Alex. (laughs) Alex, I'm hoping that people listening to the podcast might want to get in touch with you. So tell me, what is the best way that they should connect? LinkedIn, presumably, is one of them. I was about to say, yes. <laughs> right now, I, I'm in the process of a rebrand. So uh, LinkedIn is the only place that people can can find me. So it's Alexandra Galvez or um, Authentic Alex will come up. Fantastic. Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. And hopefully, we'll be able to catch up again in the near future. Thanks very much. Sure. Thanks for having me, Roger. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.